1 Timothy. Amen. Timotheo, or Timotheos in Greek, is the one who honors God. And so Paul has been talking to Timothy in such a way to give honor to God through his life, through his service, through all that God's called him to do. And uh, he's basically sharing with them to fight or to correct the false doctrines that are being perpetrated in the, in the uh, church in Ephesus. Now, remember, Paul left Timothy. I got a big Bible today. Okay. <laughs> Paul, Paul left Timothy uh, in Ephesus. He trusted him. He gave him his, uh, his, the, his all confidence. And he asked Timothy, he says, you know, here's, the, here's some of the things that you need to do. I urge you, he says, as I was going to Macedonia. And I'm going to start in verse 3. Uh, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That word charge is a word that is a military term. Charge means to command, to uh, command them. Paul is, is, is a warrior. Paul is one that is fighting for the faith. Paul is going to say at the end of Tim- his life, he's going to say, I fought the good fight. I, I tried to keep it as, as right, as correct as Jesus Christ had given it to me, as the, uh, the Torah had laid it out beforehand, and I'm giving it right. And everybody comes along and tries to pervert it. And that's exactly what Satan does. Everything that God starts to do, he perverts it, and he takes it, and he changes it because he's a father of lies. And, he, and the only language he knows is lying language. And he, there's no way that anybody can try to t- correct him because he's the father of all lies. The only thing that happens is that when we lie, the Bible says that we are talking as our own father, which is a liar. Do not de- he says here in verse 4, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. We're going to see this term come up over and over again. Paul always unites a good conscience and a sincere faith. The faith is the faith of the gospel message that you have received. And because you've received that gospel, it has transformed. It should have transformed your mind. Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is to be renewed, different. This is what repentance is. You're not thinking the same way. Repentance, metanoia, is changing the way you think, that your mind is now totally different and changed according to Paul, uh, excuse me, according to God's word. And Paul is making that <clears throat> that sincere faith uh, equate to the, the gospel message you receive, that it causes you to change your mind because your conscience, as we spoke here a few weeks ago, your conscience is the, is the reflection of your soul. The conscience is what, the conscience to your life, is kind of like what pain is to your body. The conscience to your mind tells you, hey, there's something wrong or there is something right. If you have pain, there is something wrong. If you have no pain, then everything is good. You're operating the way you're supposed to operate. And when your body is in pain, either you have a headache or your arm hurts or whatever the case may be, if your body is in pain, you want to check it out and make sure that what is going on here, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe the exercises or the stretches or the food that I'm eating, maybe my headaches are because of insomnia or because of stress or whatever the case may be. We want to find out what is causing this pain. In the same way, our conscience is the one that tells us, you know, to, to operate either one, one way or the other. If your conscience is, if you have a guilty conscience, if you have a, a sleepless nights and things that are going on, it's the conscience that is God is using in your life. It's not the Holy Spirit. Beloved, everyone has a conscience. And God uses that conscience for uh, his benefit and his good. And that conscience will pop up. And depending on what your mind is filled with is what your conscience is going to respond to, how it's going to respond. And, and uh, again, as I said when we talked about the conscience, our, soul, our society, our culture is trying to change people's view of themselves as far as their conscience is concerned. They tell people, don't let anybody tell you that what you're doing is wrong. But my conscience, yeah, yeah, it's because everybody is telling you that you're doing it wrong, that you were wrong. And it is damaging your self-esteem. And God, in God's economy, there is no self-esteem. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you need to crucify that self. You need to get rid of yourself. You need to deny yourself. Why? Because that self is seared with the conscience of this world. 
And when God changes your mind and he changes your life, he changes that, that barometer, that, that, that one thing, that the gauge that is gauging your heart and your mind and your thought and your words. And he changes it to more and more of God's word because that's what you're pouring into your conscience now. See, before, our conscience, and everyone has a conscience, beloved. Everybody has a conscience. It's not the Holy Spirit. But your conscience will tell you, as a non-believer, you know, you shouldn't kill people because it's just not right. I mean, nobody would kill a puppy, right? Nobody would kill a puppy. However, they, they have done studies, and people have gone out in the streets, and they said, you know, we're, we're, we want you to sign this petition because we don't want the uh, humane society or, or the, you know, the, dog, the dog kennels to be euthanizing dogs. We want dogs to be saved. Would you sign this petition? Yes, yes, I'll sign it. Sure, we've got to save the puppies. And by the way, we also have another petition that we're against abortion. We don't want them killing them. Oh, I won't sign that one. I, I won't sign that one. And over and over and over again, people would sign the petition to help the puppies, but not the one to help the babies. Because the conscience has been so seared and so made to believe that it is your body, it is the woman's body, who am I to tell her what it is she's supposed to do with her body, right? And so it's okay to kill the baby, but it's not okay to kill the the puppy. And that's just one of many, 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 many examples of what this society and this culture has done to our, uh, our, our lives, our children, uh, the workforce. And the more that we hear the world's wisdom, the more our conscience is going to lean toward that. This is why our mind, our heart has to be regenerated. You have to be born again in order to get God's word into your life. And so Paul, as we talked about this during that time that we were talking about the good conscience, Paul brings this up over and over again because people's consciences are being seared. As a matter of fact, if you go with me to Romans, Romans chapter 1, I didn't plan to do this, but uh, it, it fits right into what we're talking about. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is, is sharing with us what, what is happening to people as far as the wrath of God and, and how, it's, um, and how it, it is really just um, just. just caused all kinds of pain and ugliness in people's hearts. And uh, starting in verse 18, and, and I almost don't want to read the whole thing, but I almost, let, let, me, let me start with verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18 in Romans. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're trying to suppress the truth of God's word in people's lives because they're saying that that truth is damaging. It's hate speech. It, it, it cannot give you what you really desire and want. You are your own boss. You, are, you have your own body. It's your body. You do with whatever it is that you want to do. Paul was dealing with this in Rome. In verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, in other words, foolish, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Anyone that looks out into creation, anyone that looks up in the mountains, anyone that looks at the stars, anyone that looks at the ocean and how the waves are just being monitored by the moon and it, the moon is the maid of the ocean and it cleans the ocean with the tide as it rises and it, and it flows. Anyone that looks at anything that is created, a child, a baby, on how everything comes, has to believe that there is a creator, yet scientists have tried to get rid of creation from the very beginning. Because if they can say that we evolved from monkeys or everything has just evolved, they're giving, they're giving what, what they call facts as truth. The world is billions of years old. In, in all honesty, it, it can't be. If you look at the Bible, if the Bible says that the, the world is at the most 8,000 years old. And personally, I'd like to see it, give it just a little bit more, maybe 10,000 years. But according to the biblical chronology, Oh, yeah, well, you know how the Bible's always contradicting itself. And fact after fact, according to scientists, tries to refute that. And so the, the truth has been, from the very beginning, tried to be squashed and put aside. And, and uh, people are, have been made to um, 
to listen to other people, uh, to other things instead of the actual truth. Verse 21, let me go on. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. In verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And, and uh, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for, their, for, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice, full of uh, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die. They do, they do, the, the, they do, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What God has done, he says, if this is what they want to do, if this is how you want to live your life, then do it. The conscience gets seared. The conscience gets so uh, out of whack. The conscience gets so to the left instead of to the right. And, and what, what happens there is that, yeah, they're not thinking straight because they don't want to damage people's self-esteem. And Paul is, we're going to talk about this here just in just a little bit more. I just want to give you a little bit of information before we get there. Uh, and Paul says in, um, in verse 6 of 1 Timothy, going back to 1 Timothy, he says this, certain persons by swerving from the law, uh, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertion. These are the people Paul's talking about. People are wanting to be teachers, wanting to be uh, workers of the law, but they, they have no clue as to what they're saying. They, what they've heard, what they believe that they, they feel, you'll hear many people, they'll say, but I think, you know, or I feel, or I believe. You know, many times when you talk to a, a woman pastor, well, I feel that the Lord, it doesn't matter what you feel. Well, I believe that God, I don't care what you believe, but what does the Bible say? Every woman pastor will always start off by saying, well, I believe, or I feel, or I think. I, 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 They have just messed it up. And so we go by feeling instead of by the word. What does the word say? Well, you know how the word is old. Okay, so the word says, uh, you know, that women shouldn't be pastors. And, and so therefore, you know, that was a long time ago. Let's dismiss that. What about fornication? That was a long time ago too. What about lying? That was a long time ago as well. You know, how about, uh, you know, add anything else? Oh, but that's different. Is it? How is it different? God's word is still God's word. Amen. God's word is still God's word. Uh, verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and sexually moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul was talking in Romans, he was talking to the church in Rome. Paul is talking here to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus. He is talking about the practices that are happening within the church. Beloved, we have no standard. The, the world has, does not have a standard, and we cannot hold them to the standard of God's word. God's word is God's word, and it is designed for the church, for you. And these are the things that were taking place within the church. And these are the things that the teachers were trying to teach. These are the things that they were trying to, to make uh, everybody else kind of believe and agree with. These are the things that are going on within the church even today. We have people that are uh, pastors that are uh, homosexual. Uh, we have churches. Uh, you'll see pictures of some churches that have this, the gay flag on one side and the Christian flag on the other. You have, uh, you know, we, we support LGBTQ 
uh, RS, WXYZ. We call them the alphabet people. It's just too many alphabets now. And, and so you have all these various types of acceptance within churches. And when you do a, a history, a case by history, the Southern Baptist Convention was, was fighting with this one thing about uh, allowing women pastors within a church. One of the biggest churches in, uh, in, in the world, in North America, specifically was Saddleback Church. We started with Saddleback Church. And we left, you know, 10 years ago before the controversy can actually put more than that now, but almost 15 years ago. But anyways, the controversy just recently was that, you know, they, they were ordaining women as pastors. And so the, the Southern Baptist Convention had a vote, you know, should we allow this to happen? And of course they said, no, it's, it's not biblical. And so they were asked to leave the Southern Baptist Convention because of the practices that was going on through Saddleback Church. The bad thing was, well, I don't know if that's a bad thing. But the bad thing was, is they were one of the biggest contributors to the Southern Baptist Convention. There are a lot of churches that are associated with the Saddleback Church. There are a lot of churches that really look up to and, and do what the Southern uh, Saddleback does as well. And, and so to make that distinct call was to say, that's it. You know, we, we, we can't allow you to be a part of this. And, and they didn't. They says, OK, well, whatever. You know, we'll just continue doing what we're doing. And they do. They have a woman pastor now. They have a woman. They have a man pastor and a woman pastor. They co-pastor together. They're husband and wife. And uh, and so, the what I was trying to get at. If you follow the history of the Presbyterian Church, of the uh, Methodist Church, of those the you know the, the churches that are uh, are are ordaining women. If you follow the history, almost ninety five percent of all those churches have now accepted homosexuality into their church. It, just, it starts with one sin, and then from there, it's like, well, what else can we get away with? How else can we further this, this agenda? And so this is why Paul says, God says, you know what? You go, you go your way. You do what you want to do. And if that's what you want to do, then. But within the church of God, we don't let that happen. Paul is telling Timothy, you don't let that happen. You don't, you don't let that just take place. You got to teach sound doctrine. That's why he says here that um, in verse 11, that everything... Well, actually, in verse 10, after he says the sexually moral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul just covered it all. Anything else that is not according to what the word of God says. I had a conversation with one gentleman one time, and he says to me, he says, well, what do you think about what it says back in Deuteronomy? You know, a man's not supposed to wear a woman's clothes, and women aren't supposed to wear men's clothes. Well, I says, well, it says what it says. Well, you, don't you think? And, he, and you know what? You argue with me all you want. But it says what it says. Now, I might be taking that maybe just a little bit too far to the right. I, I might be just taking that to a little too far to very conservative. However, I would rather err on that side of ultra conservative, of well, this is exactly what it says and you should do it, than to even give a little bit to the other side. You know, and, and of course, there's, you know, the pants the ladies wear and, the, you know, the, uh, there's, there's all kinds of other things. But the, the intent of it has always been is to try to get men and women to blur the lines. That's, that's the whole intent of it. Long hair, short hair, covered hair. You know, and then it becomes an issue and people are trying to say, okay, what about this? What about that? And, and, and all they're trying to do is drum up hypotheticals. What if, you know, I don't operate in hypotheticals. I don't. Now, I operate in the real world where things are real. You talk to me about a real situation, about a real person, about a real thing. We'll talk about that. But I don't talk in hypotheticals. You know, what if? And what, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I can keep going with that. Let's go on to verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to the service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. Um, and and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the with the faith of the love uh, and love that are in Christ Jesus. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Look at this, of whom I am the foremost. You know, one of the things I didn't emphasize on this last week is the I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I used to be. He says that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost one. Paul was humbled. 
And he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he couldn't keep his eyes totally focused upon the word of God. He knew that there were things that were still needed to be corrected. He knew that he couldn't walk the walk that he was telling others to walk. And he knew that. And he knew it was difficult. And he understood your challenge. He understands what it takes to be able to do that in perfect unity with the spirit. I know I've heard a lot of people say, I do it all the time. I'm, I'm per- I, I said that one time at a conference. I was at a, a teacher's conference. This is years ago when I was barely a new Christian. And, and uh, the teacher was talking, well, you know, I thank God that I am really faith- I'm faithful to God's word in all things. And the teacher says to me, you know, well, that's good. I, I, I really wish I could be that way. And I commend you for being that, fa- you know, and it kind of like, <laughs> it had such a profound effect on my life that I'm still remembering those simple words. As a matter of fact, I ran into that teacher one time years later. And I said, hey, how you doing? Do you remember? You know, I was in your class. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was at that, that conference one time. I can't remember what I thought. Well, let me tell you something. I can't remember what you taught either, but I know what you said to me. <laughs> and he goes, wow, okay, well, I'm glad that stuck with you. You know, didn't have a clue as to who I was. And so in the things that we say and the things that we share with people, you know, and it's not that we are out there in the world doing the craziest stuff. We are sinners, beloved. We need a savior. Amen. We need a savior. I was at a funeral this last week and uh, that we were honoring this man named Uber Diaz. And, and as we were honoring him, you know, everybody, there was hundreds of people there, hundreds that were influenced by this, this humble man. He was just a very hard worker, a love Jesus. And you can see it. And, and one of the guys that this guy was discipling, he came up to me. He says, you know, I, I've known Uber only for a few years. And, and you know, and I, I, for the life of me, I, I don't know what it is that he saw in me. To, to appoint me to be, you know, a deacon, you know, to take his, his place and, and to work. You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't understand it. You know, I, I go, well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not your intelligence. And I almost told him it's not your looks either, but I didn't say that. I wanted to be encouraged. I'll tell you, it's not, it's not your intelligence. It's not the way you speak. It's not, it's not uh, the schools that you've been to. Be, well, then what is it? He says, you reflect Jesus. And that's what Huber's talking. You reflect the humility that Jesus Christ, the meekness, the, and you know, he stood there and he was just like in tears. He's, I go, don't waste that. Don't, don't throw that away. Honor, honor your brother who saw that in you and fan that into flames. Because it's not a matter of being perfect. We're not perfect. We can never be perfect. Paul says, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And your pastor is in that same spot. And my goal is to every day just to inch a little bit closer, an inch a little bit closer. And the ugliness of it all is when I look at the reflection in the mirror and I see God and he, I'm using him as a, a reflection, I, I have to bow my face and down to the ground. Lord, have mercy on me. I, I, I'm a sinner, as Peter had said that Jesus Christ Depart from me, as Isaiah would say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people who are unclean. And and the direction that Paul is giving us, he's constantly beating us over the head to walk this walk, to walk this walk. Not because we can make it, but because we need to continue to attempt this purity of life, this consistent climb to holiness, to want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, um, after, after, after saying that he's the foremost in verse 16, but I receive mercy. I thank God for that. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, once again, not I used to be the foremost, but as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You want to know why you were saved? Not just to come to church, sing songs. Not just to, you know, have a good time and have something to do on a Sunday morning. The reason he had you, the reason you come to church and the reason he saved you, excuse me, is so that he can show his mercy as an example of what he can do with a broken person. My friend Hoover, fresh across the border, didn't know how to speak English well. I didn't know how to speak Spanish well. We had a hard time communicating. And he came to church. 
And he tells me, and I told the story. He came to church. He says, brother, my life is all messed up. I want a new life, I thought he said. I go, well, this is what will happen. I can find me a wife here. I says, what? He says, I want a wife. I want a new wife. I need a wife. I go, oh, brother, well, I know God will change your life, but I don't know about that other part. And thank God, you know, that he met a woman, and they both got married, and together they served in the ministry. He became a pastor. He was the pastor of my mother-in-law's church. That's why he was so dear to us. And I would serve right alongside him when I would go down there, and we'd, we'd talk together, and we'd minister. Every time I did a funeral I, I, in Spanish, I would ask him to come and interpret for me, or at least to give uh, the message in Spanish. And so he, was, he, he did some of my family's, my wife's family's uh, funerals, and, and, and it was just, he was just a dear brother to us. As a matter of fact, the last time I called him was a couple of weeks before he passed on. I called him. I said, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, I just can't. I don't know. You know, and he's, and, you know, he's talking, but I, can't, I can barely understand him. All right, brother, I know you're in a lot of pain. His wife got the phone. Edmano, he, just had, he just took his medication, took a lot of morphine. He was in a lot of pain. And so uh, I'll have him call you back. A few weeks later, he calls his phone. Hey, hey, brother Sal, how you doing? Oh, man, you sound so good. No, 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 no. He says, this is Joey, his son, sounded just like his daddy. No, no, I just needed to call you and tell you that my dad passed away. I go, oh, my God, really? I, mean, I thought that was a miracle. You know, I thought he got just jumped out of bed. And as I, as I went out there, we talked to his wife, and his wife tells me, says, you know what? Uh, she says, two days, two days before he died. Now, he got out of bed. He couldn't even stand up anymore. And we, ha- we had to help him, but he got out of bed. I thought he was going to fall over, and he was in a lot of pain. I could just see it in his face, and he got out of bed, and he says, as best as he could, he raised his hands up, and he began to pray for everyone. He prayed for his kids. He prayed for his grandkids. He prayed for his friends. He prayed for those that he's been praying for, and he just prayed and prayed until he collapsed and fell over back in the bed, and he continued to pray. Joey tells us, he told the story at um, the memorial service that um, right before, you know, he passed away, his last words that he ever spoke, he said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here's a man that, I mean, was on drugs and alcohol and at church for the wrong motives. <laughs> now, here's a man that surrendered himself completely to the Lord, and God used him in a mighty way. This is why, as Paul says, but I receive mercy for this reason, as the foremost, that Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Because of your salvation, there are some that, are, that were to believe. They're going to believe. You just got to know this. They're going to believe because of what Jesus Christ did in your life. That's, that's a promise. And I've seen it happen time and time again. And when you see this, and when you know this, he says, and he says, you know, he, he used this because in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge, Paul says, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, hold faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwrecks of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father in heaven, I pray that you lead us this morning in understanding this charge, this command, this uh, call of duty, the campaign that you've put us on this calling that you've given us, this concentration that we need to focus on, and, uh, and how it is that we are supposed to live our lives from this point forward. So thank you, Father, for this uh, shining example of a church, of a pastor, on how a church ought to conduct itself as Paul trains Timothy from a distance through a letter. But I thank you most importantly, Lord, for Timothy's obedience, for his willingness to stick it out and willing to work at it and through it, in spite of everything that was coming up against him, he stood there. And because of him, his name now shines forever in all eternity so people like us can read about him. And Lord, help us to be as, also be as faithful as possible and that our names do not end up on a chart like Hymenius or Alexander. Their names will live as infamy, for infamy, uh, Lord, forever in, in a, such a negative way. We desire, Father, to 
be that shining example that you can use that others can receive eternal life. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Number one, God has given you a campaign. God has given you a campaign. This is not a battle. A battle is fought and either won or lost, and it's over with. It's not a war. It's not like World War I that seems to take forever, but it doesn't. This is a lifelong campaign. When Paul says, this charge I entrust to you, put your name in there. He says, Timotheo, the man who honors God, my child, he says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Fight the good fight is what you'll find in the New American Standard or in the New uh, uh, International Language version. Fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare because this is something that we need to do is fight that good fight. One of the things that we can do probably in, in, in all reality about Satan himself, C.S. Lewis once said, you know, Christians make one or two mistakes about Satan. Number one, they don't really believe that he exists to influence you to make bad choices. Number two, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on Satan and they believe everything happens because everything bad happens because Satan is attacking you. And Satan is a real creature. He's, he's a person that was given uh, the authority, uh, first and foremost, to be a bright, shining angel. Isaiah tells us about the five I wills. I will lift myself up. I will climb up to the highest mountains. I will take my seat above all the thrones. I will, I will, I will. And his self-centeredness, his pride, his arrogance cost him his life to be cast down into this world, to be the director of this world, or the God of this world, as we will find out. And his responsibility here, and it's only given by God, is to try to see if he can convince the saints, the call, the elect. And it's interesting that uh, when Satan came down, he brought one-third of the angels with him. One-third of the angels, that means that, beloved, we still have two-thirds. Amen? To me, I see that as a, as a plus. There's two-thirds good angels as opposed to one-third of the angels. And also, on top of that, we don't have the number, but the Bible says, Jude tells us that there are a portion of angels that are held in the bottomless pit because of what they did. And they are, like, forever just banished. And then there's another portion of these angels that are going to be released during the end time. So right now, we're, we are operating with uh, Satan and just a few demons, and it's amazing. Because Satan doesn't have to do anything. <coughs> C.S. Lewis wrote a book, uh, Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape Letters is basically on this communication between the imps or the demons. And they're talking to one another. And basically they're saying, you know, let them believe in God. Let them read their Bible. Let them go to church. Let them, you know, here's, I have found that the best way to, to get rid of Christianity is to let them Take all this stuff in and then let them go home and don't do nothing with it. Just let them come to church every Sunday and learn and learn and learn and go back. And you know what? That, that'll be it. They will be as sterile as anything you can see. They won't reproduce. They won't worship God. They'll live in fear and stress and anxiety because of uh, work or family or relationships, because of money. Uh, money is the root of all evil, as, as uh, uh, is, is what Paul says is not evil, but it's the root of. And, and so over and over again, I mean, this and, and the imp said, let me don't force them. See, because if you cause bad things to happen to them and bad things do happen, they're going to run to God and just just let them think that everything is OK. Because you don't want them getting on their knees. You don't want them praying. You don't want them, you know, trusting God. And in a sense, this is why Paul says, you know, you need to get out of that lifestyle. He says, uh, this is a charge. This is a command. You have a campaign. This is a, a military term, a charge, a, a go for it, dun, da, 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 charge, and everybody's running forward uh, to, to the battle. And this is what Paul is saying, Timothy, I've given you this charge. Do so in this church. There is people out there that are teaching some bad stuff, and they're going to keep coming in unless you Help them to understand this. I thank God that we have people that have gone through the doctrines of grace. I thank God that we have people that have gone through the fundamentals of the faith. I thank God that we have people that understand what it is that we're trying to do with Reformed theology. I, I thank God that in the event that I would somehow, God would just take me out of the picture, that there is a group of people here that are willing to keep the pastor or the leadership that's coming up in check because that's not what the Bible says. Amen. That's not what the Bible says, what they'll tell the person. That, this is, this not, 
and, and please, whatever you do, what, and I've said this over and over again, whatever you do, never ever say, well, that's not what Pastor Sal said. I don't want you to say what Pastor Sal said. I want you to learn what the Bible says so that you can tell somebody this is what the Bible says. And, and, uh, and I thank God that many of you, you know, are, are doing this already. And so Paul is saying you have a campaign. And, you know, as a matter of fact, Paul's constantly sharing that, you know, with Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, 1 Timothy 5.21, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, prejudging, excuse me, prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. I don't know why I wanted to say prejudice. I can't even say the words. That's why. That's why I wanted to say it, because I can't say it. I, want, I charge you to keep these rules. Which rules? Well, the ones that we're going to be going over with here in just a little bit. Once we get to chapter 2, once we get to chapter 3, Paul says, okay, these are the rules that I want you to keep. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy 6.13, he says it again. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is in, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So Paul is constantly charging. Uh, you know, he's a commander-in-chief. He, he's, he's a general. The commander-in-chief is giving the general the information and the general is giving it to his soldiers, his captains. I charge you with this. These are the orders. Go. And it's not just a one battle, a one and done. It is something that we do on our, in our life consistently. Number two, God has given you a calling. Beloved, if you have been saved, if you have been regenerated, you have this calling. You have this calling. And this calling, he says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. The second part of verse 18. This prophecy is that what you know is different than the apostles. The apostles were writing the doctrines and the prophets were giving God's word. Basically what a prophet is, is one who gives God's word. God's word has been given. And every time that you share God's word, you're a prophet. You're not one of those babbling prophets that speak all kinds of gibberish. You're not one that stands there and waits for a new revelation prophet because there is no new revelation. You don't stand there and proclaim that you're a prophet. Most people that proclaim are, uh, are a prophet, they're in it for the profit. <laughs> they're in it for the money. You know, and they are, they are just uh, trying to convince people because those people that, continue, this is what Paul's talking to them about, those people that are going against the doctrine, the teachings, are in it for themselves. This is why Paul says a little later, you know, the, the root, uh, love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. These guys are just doing it for the funds. They're doing it for the profit. You, on the other hand, are a nonprofit. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not, you're not doing it for the money. And so once the word of God was put together, this is what we need. And this is what we use. And so it's in accordance with the prophecies. And so there was a time when the prophets were needed. The apostles were needed. And they were needed to build the foundation as Jesus Christ as a cornerstone. Ephesians 3.20. They came and they became the prophets. They, they, they laid the foundation. And the foundation is laid out with prophets and apostles and one cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And the cornerstone has always been known as that one rock that was square, straight through. Everything hinged on that cornerstone. If that cornerstone was off by just a hair, everything else would be off. Just a hair. I mean, once you're coming down the line, and if it comes off a little bit, by the time you're way down there, the trajectory of the line is going to be way off. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. I don't know about your house, but in my house, I only have one foundation. This church building only has one foundation. The gospel message of the church itself has one foundation, founded by the prophets and the apostles. Now, what these other guys that are coming up saying that they're prophets or they're apostles are doing, I have no clue. And what it is that they're trying to build, because it's already built, is something else. And when we understand that it's the prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, that's it, and we build on it. Paul is going to share with us in chapter 3 that we're to have deacons. We are to have uh, teachers. Uh, we are to have evangelists. We are to have, and he's going to share with us, this is how you pick elders. Here's how you work this within the, this is how a church is to conduct business, is the whole theme of this chapter. Um, in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. See, so what you learn, entrust it to somebody else. And don't tell me you haven't learned anything, because otherwise I'm not doing my job. I know you've learned stuff. 
It doesn't have to be all the Greek and the Hebrew and all that other uh, theology, but doctrine, you know. You know what's been taught. And that's what you need to share with other people. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You have this gift that God has given you to share with other people. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and talking to people about the Bible? And then all of a sudden you come up with a verse or something that you've heard, that you've learned. And, you know, after you're done talking with the person about the gospel message of Jesus Christ and you leave that person, you sit there and you think, wow, where did that come from? How did I get that? Where did I ever find that verse? Well, it's because it's in you. And the Holy Spirit will use it to share and to minister to other people. That's why Paul says, you've got this gift in you. It's in you. And fan it in the flames. Just fan it in the flames. 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect this gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Many of you won't be pastors. Many of you won't be teachers. Many of you won't be uh, uh, deacons or whatever the case may be here in this church. But you can share the gospel. You can share the gospel. And you're, gonna, you're a disciple whether you like it or not. And you are going to disciple other people. The question is, what kind of disciple are you discipling? How are you to disciple them? That's why we have our discipleship class on Saturday mornings, to learn what, what is the essentials of a disciple. And this month, we're going over the purity of the life. It takes a month. It's, well, it's going to take us a month, put it that way. It doesn't necessarily take a month. Purity of life is just, you know what, just get rid of all the ugliness. All the, you know, we've gotten rid of most of the big stuff, you know, like drugs and gamblings and, you know, alcohol and, you know, womanizing. And we've gotten rid of all the, all the big stuff. Let's start working on the little stuff now, you know, the jealousy, the hatred, the, the anger, uh, the dissension, the division, those types of things, you know. We, we, we're getting rid of all that stuff. And, and so we are finding that the purity of life Wow, it's, it's in depth. God expects us to be holy. That's just it. Not a little bit holy, not a lot holy, you know, not 45%, 95%, 99%, 100% he expects that. But like Paul, we are sinners. And so we need to depend on our Savior. So number three, God has given you a command. Here's the command. The campaign is the campaign that we fight for the rest of the life. And the calling is how we are going to call this out. Some of you will be teachers. Some of you might even be pastors. Some of you will be leaders in the church, elders. But there is a command that you have to fight every day is the, the wage, the good warfare. Always. And you have the resources to complete this battle, this fight, the warfare. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You're not to put it on to go fight. You're not to put it on to go in, in the, you know, this battle is coming to you on a daily, regular basis. And Paul says you got to put on the helmet of salvation. And it's, it's, it's this, sel- this helmet that goes on your head and protects your mind and it protects you, your salvation. Not, not that you can lose your salvation, but it reminds you over and over again, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. You're not going to lose your salvation. Act like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Walk like a Christian. This breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shod with the gospel message. Everywhere you go, proclaiming the message. The breastplate of righteousness. I am righteous because not of who I am, but because of who he is. He has covered me. He has imputed his righteousness upon me. And he's taken my sin and he's imputed it upon himself. The belt of truth. Always truth. Say the truth. Speak the truth. Always the truth. I shared this with the group this, uh, yesterday. That truth without love is brutality. You might see somebody and say, man, you're stupid. And you might even want to say, that that's not saying it in love. It might be. You're ugly. You know, that might be a true, that might be a true statement. You know, you never do nothing right. I'm just telling the truth. I'm a truth sayer. I'll tell everybody the truth. That's just brutality. However, um, love without truth is hypocrisy. Ah, don't worry about it. You're okay. No, it's no big deal. Pfft. Get a load of this guy. You know, and, and telling them that everything's good. Truth without love is hypocrisy. But love with truth is maturity truth and love and you speak the truth in love is what paul says 
And so this, he says, and that's, that's what the belt tells you all the time. When you speak the truth, when you speak, the truth, you know, sometimes we don't want to tell the truth because it might hurt somebody. Well, that's why you need to do it in love. That's why you need to do it in love. You know, because, yeah, it's going to hurt. And if the person is mature, he'll, re- he'll receive it and he'll either say, well, what do I need to do? What do you think I need to do? Or if he's not mature, he'll say, that's your, that's your problem. That's your, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Second Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In Ephesians 6, Paul says that our, our, our war, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. My war, my fight is not me against me and James, against me and Jorge, against me and any one of you here. That's not my fight. My fight's not against me and Ken. Well, maybe Ken. No, just kidding. <laughs> See if you're awake. (laughs) My fight is not against any one of you. When we get upset at each other, it's not me against you. It's the demonic forces, the the demons that are behind the scene. They're the ones that are using us as pawns to get at each other. They're the ones that are causing us this conflict. And this is why as we come to church and we we, we need to check ourselves. Yes, people are going to rub you the wrong way. I know. I've met a lot of people. And I know, and I have to keep reminding myself, it's not the person. It's the spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. The things that I don't like that are in me, and I see them in someone else, I really don't like it. That's usually what it is. If there's something that you see in somebody else that you don't like, it's because you're dealing with it. That's just psychology 101. But spiritually speaking, those are the things that Satan uses. He uses that. And so Paul says, we don't walk this, we don't you know, fight Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of the warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We use spiritual armor. Number four, God has called you to stay concentrated. God has called you to stay concentrated. Holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. You see the faith? And, and, you know, it's interesting because Paul goes from a military standpoint, from a, a, a ground uh, assault to a, a naval assault. You know, he shifts, he shifts from the, the ground warfare to the, the sea, maritime, into the Navy, I guess you would say. Some people have made a uh, shipwreck of their faith. I don't know if you know people like that, that, you know, are gung-ho, gung-ho, and because they're not focused on the word, because they're not doing what the word says, they just, and, and you know, Paul here, he names them. He calls them out. Oh, you guys know these guys, you know. And uh, Hymenius, you know, I'm not really too sure what he did, but he damaged the ministry. And once once a ministry is damaged, it can't be, you know, it's, it's not that it can't be replaced, but it's difficult. It's difficult to get back on track because, well, that's the church, you know. Um, yeah, I can use various examples and I won't. But, um, and so, so he says, uh, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So God has called you to stay concentrated. Concentrated on what? Concentrated on holding the faith and concentrated on holding the, a good conscience. How, a good con- concentrated on holding the gospel message, the faith. That, the, the faith that, that you received when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And a good conscience to be able to, as I said earlier, be influenced by the word, not the world. Be influenced by what you're taking in in God's word. And if it contradicts, one, if one contradicts the other, then I would say 100% accuracy, get rid of the world. World, Get rid of the world. Hold on to the word. But everybody's doing it. Yeah, everybody's doing it wrong. But everybody says it's okay. Yeah, well, everybody is wrong. But the word of God is true. And this is where you, you would you know, fight the good warfare. It all happens in the mind. That's why Paul says put on the helmet of salvation. You don't want any infiltrating other thoughts or theologies or ideas or churches or anything else coming in. You know, anything that seems good, all it does is just confuse the believer. Uh, Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. Again, in 1 Timothy 3.9, they must hold the mystery of faith and with a clear conscience. Romans 2.15, to show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their consciences also bear witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Your conscience is going to accuse you or it's going to excuse you. And he's talking about non-believers, the world, those, not the, not the Holy Spirit, 
those that are being uh, swayed by what the law says. Like, for instance, the law says, thou shalt not kill. And most people in the world that aren't Christians and aren't believers, they know killing is just wrong. Yeah, that's because of your conscience, because of the law that you have in you. And when you operate in such, you're operating according to God's law. Not that you're a believer, but you're operating according to those types of things. Second Corinthians 1.12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. I'm not operating on what the world teaches. I'm not operating about what everyone else is teaching. What I'm operating on is godly wisdom. And not that I'm a wise old man, or you know, the old man part might be right, but the wisdom, the only reason I have that is because of what God's word says. And I can show you, and I can talk to you about that. This is what it says. This is do what it says. And, and the more you dive into God's word, the more you're going to make choices that way. And you will be considered wise from God's standard. Paul went on to say, uh, God has chosen the foolish to confound the wise of this world. The wisdom of this world, they think they know it. They think they have it all together. But all you have to come out and say, you know, with one verse, it's not what the Bible says. Well, you know, they get all hysterical. That's okay. But that's still, that's not what the Bible says, you know. And I'm supposed to love you anyways, you know. And that's what the Bible says. That's what I'm having a hard time with. I'm having a hard time loving you in spite of you hating me, my God, my church, my Bible. I'm having a hard time doing that. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help me with that. And if I have to, I'll lay holy hands on you and some feet even. If I had. Let me ask you to stand. No, we don't, we don't jeopardize the faith with others because of our own agenda. We operate according to his word. We operate according to what he says. And as I said earlier, you have a lot of doctrine teaching already in you. You have a lot, uh, a lot in you that you can share with others. It might not be, uh, you know, the, the, the heavy stuff. And, and when you start talking to people, they, they want to just muddle everything. They, want, they, have, they throw up smoke screens. What about this? And what about that? You know, I, I'll get back to you on that. However, get back on track, on track, get back to what you know. But this is what I know. And it could be as simple as, you know, I, I've got I've to learn how to um, show hospitality. It could be as simple as saying, you know, I've got to learn how to have a kind heart. It could be as simple as, you know, I've got to stop uh, cussing, if that's one. I don't know. Whatever God puts on your heart, whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you of, because he's here to convict the world of sin, then you work on that. And people will say, well, what about what you did? You know, I, you know I, I can get back to you on that right now, but all I know is, and you go back to your truth, your doctrine that you know. Father in heaven, you've shown us many times when we've talked to people about the things that we've learned. And, and Lord, that's only by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we know that it convicts the world because it causes them to be uncomfortable and sometimes even to avoid us. But Lord, uh, that's what your word does. It, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It cuts deep down to the bone and marrow and it divides we know that and we need to we need to be believers and we need to understand that and and make that decision to side always with you because this battle this campaign is ongoing and it will not end until we are put in the ground so i ask you lord to give us the strength and fortitude that you've already given us you did not give us the spirit of fear and timidity but a power of love of a sound mind. That's the spirit that we have to be able to fight this campaign, to fight this good fight. So, Father, thank you once again for your love and your, your, your uh, commitment to us through Jesus Christ and, and all that you give us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. All right. Stick around for some, I think my wife made some.